Okay. Well, I was here last year, if anybody remembers. And remember, I had a dress on from a catalog. Do you remember that? Okay. I have another dress on from a catalog. This one here. And the catalog is called Serengeti. Just an FYI. And uh, <laughs> that has nothing to do with anything. But you know, anyway, I'm really glad the longer dresses are in style because I don't like to show my legs. And, you know, we try to hide the multitude at this age. But anyway, that's an FYI. Not important, but, you know, just, just in case. Reasonable prices. We're always looking for, you know, good quality at a reasonable price that we can, you know, pretty much afford. Anyway, I had an adventure coming this morning. Um, I'm supposed to take exit 49 from Yorba Linda to get here. And I kept thinking, um, boy, you know, I'm at 54 right now. And it's saying Riverside. <laughs> so I said, I think maybe I better turn around. So I did. And fortunately, I still got here on time, so I was very thankful. So even when you have directions, I still can get lost with perfect directions, you know? Anyway, uh, first of all, I want to say that I love seeing the young moms and their babies, and they can make as much noise as they want. Those are sounds of joy. Don't be embarrassed. It won't bother me at all. I just love hearing those sounds. So just an FYI. And um, when I started Joy Bible Study 46 years ago, I was a young mom of 32 years, I was 32 years age. And um, my son, my youngest son was in kindergarten. And he is now 51 years old and has three teenagers, uh, two of which are in college. So anyway, and my journey has been with Joy of Living Bible Studies every week for the last 46 years. And it has literally taken me through every season of life. And I, I could not have survived without God's Word. I mean, we can survive, but maybe not so, uh, I would say, successfully survive in God's eyes. Doesn't exempt you from pain or suffering, but the Lord is with you in whatever you go through, and his presence um, makes all the difference in the world. Okay, um, I forgot my alarm clock. I brought an alarm clock last year, so I have now a phone, so I'm really high-tech. If you had a clock, I wouldn't need either one, but okay. <laughs> that has nothing to do with anything either. Anyway, I'm missing Lurie, and I'm so sorry that she's not well. You know, she is such a servant of God, and she just pours so much of her heart into everything. And uh, you're very fortunate to have Lurie. So bless her, comfort her, come alongside her. Uh, pray that she'll be back. Um, all right, I'm going to start off with, I don't, I look at commentaries, but I don't normally go with the commentaries so much, because I, I basically always want to, what what is the Lord teaching me? What does he want me to learn? And somehow or another, I know that um, I just pray that he will help me to think clearly and simply and give me clarity of mind and thought and um, that he'd 
he would just teach me what he wants me to learn. And then to be able to share it with all of you um, as simply and clearly as possible. And um, I'm going to start out with a quotation by Warren Wearsby. That's why I gave that, because I don't normally, anyway. Um, okay, Warren Wearsby says that history, and of course we know history is his story. You remember that? His story. Um, it says, history is really the Bible, the inspired account of the hand of God at work in the affairs of mankind to bring the Savior into the world. And when you start with Genesis, we find out who created everything. He doesn't tell us how he did it, but he, we know who did it. Um, today, the church needs leaders who help God's people understand where they've been, who they are, and what they are called to do. We are all born with a sinful nature, and we need to be born again. And we need to be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, which is one of my life books that has given me daily guidance. Uh, Galatians 5 reminds us of what our old sinful nature produces. In other words, what comes natural. But then it also tells us what the fruit of the Spirit looks like when we allow the Lord Jesus to truly be Lord of our lives, moment by moment, day by day. Living the Christian life is supernatural. When we uh, try to do things in our own strength and power, we fall flat on our face. And that's okay, because we get up and then we realize we have to do things in his strength and power. And um, our love for the Lord is experienced in obedience to his word. No rules and regulations, not legalism, but just out of a heart of love for what he's done for us. There are spiritual principles that apply in our lives for everyone. Uh, the first principle is that of reaping and sowing. And that can be positive, and it can be negative. We all, believer, non-believer, we all reap what we sow. And if you've been sowing the wrong kind of seed, it is never too late to start planting good seed. And eventually, a harvest of good will come from that. But it will not exempt you from the harvest of the, uh, of the principle of reaping and sowing. But God gives you the grace to go through that. Um, the fruit of the Spirit is a real thing, and it's a real good checkup on what our lives look like. Um, so we, we have a yardstick that uh, God lets us see to measure where we are and how much we need him because we cannot produce his fruit in our own strength and power. The other thing that God has given us, and he gives everyone, is choice, a free will. We all get to choose, because love gives a choice. But there are consequences for choices, good, bad, indifferent. 
but we always get the free will and we always get to choose, but we don't always get to choose the consequences. And there are incredible blessings. God just desires, his heart is to pour his blessings out on us. Did you know that? He wants to bless you. He wants to love you. He wants you to know and feel his love and presence in your life. You know, you look at your babies over there. Oh, don't you just love them? And when they, are, they get to the age where they can respond back to you, you know, the first time your little one says, I love you, Mama. I mean, is there anything more precious? And, you know, we're God's children. And um, that love relationship is what he wants from us. In order to live the Christian life, it's very important that we constantly, day by day, check our heart condition. Because that is what is most important to God. What do our hearts look like? We can outwardly to others appear to have it all together. But God looks at our hearts. And when things are in there like pride or it could be a multitude of things. Like Satan and Cain. Remember Cain and Abel? The Cain that, you know, as far as beauty and perfection, that was Satan. He was the most beautiful. Uh, Cain brought the works of his hands that were, you know, spectacular to look at. But God looked at hearts. And the solution is repentance, submission, and humbling ourselves. Back in the times of Judges, I'm going to kind of go back and forth a little bit, because you're going to spend your detailed time. Oh, there's a clock up there. Where did that come from? That wasn't there a minute ago. Has it always been there? But it was off. Thank you. Thank you that it was off. Oh, my goodness. Well, I don't need that now. Okay. All right. Oh, is this telling me how many minutes I have left? Oh, gosh. Oh, it's too efficient. Okay. Well, all right. <laughs> all right. I better hurry along. Oh, okay. Um, okay. The key verse, I'm going to go back to Judges. I, I kind of want to go back where you've been, because you're going to spend lots of time today on where you are. Okay. Going back to Judges, the key verse said, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Isn't that a wonderful description of where we are today in our society? You know, everybody does whatever is right in their own eyes. But dearies, there's a whole lot of things that are evil in God's eyes, even though they're right in everybody else's. Um, the people, the God's people back then, they compromised their convictions and they disobeyed God. During the period of the judges, the Israelites were in due straits because they lacked godly leadership. The priesthood was defiled. There was no sustained prophetic message from the Lord. And the law of Moses was being ignored throughout the land. Does that sound familiar? Judgment was coming to Eli and his family, 
but God would have Samuel prepared to guide the nation and move them into the next stage of their development. Considering the low level of spiritual life in Eli and the wicked ways of his son, did you ever think how much faith it took for sweet Hannah to leave her precious Samuel at Shiloh? Their behavior was public knowledge. Think about that as a mom. She not only, you know, when he was old enough to be brought to Shiloh, the tabernacle, uh, that was her innocent, precious child that she was giving, to, giving back to the Lord. And that means her prayers were basically just beginning. She had to have, what, camel knees or whatever they call it? Because she, her, prayer, her prayers really began when she gave him into uh, Eli's care. Just think about that as a mom. And um, anyway, but that was part of God's plan. The Lord was with Samuel, and he, and he would preserve him from the pollution around him. Doesn't that encourage your heart? And he did. He did. Just as, just as God protected Joseph in Egypt, he would protect Samuel in Shiloh. Doesn't that encourage your heart? And you know, I grew up amazingly, um, yeah, you know, in the darkest of darkness. I think I shared a little bit last time I was here. I was raised by an alcoholic prostitute, single parent. I saw everything under the sun in my childhood, all the way uh, until my mother committed suicide. Um, and yet, you know what? Despite being in that environment all my life, the Lord protected me. So many bad things could have happened that didn't. And not only that, but he gave me a desire to be different. He gave me that hunger and thirst for righteousness that eventually, but at the age of 32, caused me to seek him with all my heart because I didn't settle for religion, for religion or churchianity. I cried out and I said, if, if there's a God, if you are real, I need to know who you are because I just can't do it on my own anymore. And I had tried so hard. And those are the greatest prayers that we can pray. So never settle for churchianity, never settle for religion. Either it's the real thing or just forget it and go your own way and eat, drink, and be merry. I mean, literally. But if Jesus is real, then you need to give him all of you. Not in legalistic surrender, out of pure love because he desires a love relationship with us. Okay, God judges sin. And we're gonna, we see this big time in this lesson. From a human viewpoint, because you know this went on over a long period of time. Uh, Eli, Eli was, he served the Lord for 40 years. And he started, if he lived to 98, he really didn't start until what? 50, okay, which means his sons were probably adults by then. 
so they, you know, they may have served along with him for those 40 years. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and do math, but, you know, uh, it wasn't like they were little boys or something when he began the priest, serving in the priesthood. Um, so it looked like they were getting away with it all those years. But God was preparing judgment for them while he was equipping Samuel to continue the work. And actually, the silence of God was the judgment of God. Although Eli and his sons were priests, they could offer no sacrifice that would atone for their sin because their sins were deliberate and defiant. And there is no, there was no sacrifice for such sins. Not only had they defiled themselves, but they had also defiled the priesthood. And the key is they had not repented. There is no sin that the blood of Jesus will not forgive. But in order for that to happen, there must be genuine repentance. And unfortunately for those, Hophni and Phinehas, they never repented, and therefore judgment came. Eli now was an old man, and obviously I don't think we could call him a good father. You know, I'm sure he loved his boys and all of that. Um, and I don't, you know, you might question how faithful he was as a priest because he was there to serve the Lord. And he had been warned of the judgment to come. God had chosen Samuel to be the judge, priest, and prophet so that the light of truth would keep burning in Israel. And if the elders had recalled the terms of God's covenant, they would have realized that the, the shameful defeat that, they're gonna, that you're reading about this week was caused by Israel's disobedience to God's word. Because if you, if you go back um, to how the ark was to be treated, and, you know, God was very specific in all of his instructions, and they completely ignored and disobeyed everything that he said, instead used the ark as a, a good luck charm. God was going to teach both the Jews and the Philistines some important lessons with that ark in the coming chapters. And eventually, the Lord is going to abandon the tabernacle at Shiloh, and he's going to allow the Philistines to destroy it. If you look in Jeremiah 7, it said, the people followed a worship ritual, but they maintained a sinful lifestyle. It was religion without personal commitment to God. And it said, uh, when Eli's daughter-in-law gave birth, she named her son Ichabod, meaning no glory, the glory of God has gone. Well, you know, there is no tabernacle, there is no temple, or any of those things. God allowed all of that to be destroyed, even the temple that was built in Jerusalem by Solomon. I mean, no matter how priceless it was, he allowed it to be destroyed because his glory dwells within the body of Christ. That's you and me. We are the containers of his glory. 
And that's why it's so important that we keep our vessel clean. Inside and out, God's glory dwells within each one of us. Is that not the most precious, precious honor? And, you know, also I think last year I shared about us being all crackpots. You know, if our wrinkles were, were cracks. <laughs> you know, the more cracks there are, the more light shines. And he, he has chosen to display his glory and his power in uh, these hopelessly flawed crackpots. And we don't get the glory. It's God's glory that shines in and through each one of us. And he doesn't show any favoritism. We're all on level ground before the cross. One of the things that I thought was interesting is how God was using barren women. Obviously, the fruit of your womb has been blessed. <laughs> That's good. Uh, but he seemed to have a special thing with barren women. And I thought about, well, you're, you're familiar. I'm just kind of bringing it back to your thoughts. Sarah, Sarah and Abraham, remember? Samson's mother was barren, as well as Samuel's mother. Um, we all remember Sarah's story. You know, I mean, that was really a miracle. I mean, they were both beyond the time that they could reproduce. And yet, an angel appeared to them and said that she would conceive. Okay, and it took an angel of the Lord to tell her, okay? And also, an angel of the Lord came to Samson's mother and not only told her that she was going to conceive, in fact, I'm going to read it to you because um, angels are pretty funny too, I think. Not funny, but really? Okay. It says, again, this is back in the book of Judges regarding Samson. Again, the, uh, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. And a certain man named Zorah, of Zorah, named Manoah from the clan of the Danites, he had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are sterile and childless. <laughs> oh, really? Tell me something I don't already know. Anyway, <laughs> I, I don't know. I find that humorous. But the angel of the Lord said, but you are going to conceive and you're going to have a son. Now, here's my instructions to you. See to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head because the boy is to be a Nazarite set apart to God from birth. And he will begin the deliverance from the hands of the Israelite. Uh, from the hands of the Philistines. Eventually, uh, Samuel got real attracted to the Philistine women, wanted to marry one of them and all that. Well, obviously that was not God's plan for him, and yet he even used Sam's, Samson's sin to accomplish his purposes. He eventually was ruined by a Philistine. And do we remember what that Philistine woman's name was? Delilah. Delilah. 
So Samson was set apart from birth, but as we know, he, he did not live a godly life. He was pretty much a scoundrel too, was he? And yet God uses whoever he wants, whenever he wants, to serve his purposes. In fact, he kind of used Samson intentionally to stir up the Philistines to create that because he was going to use the Philistines to punish his own children because they were doing evil in his eyes. Okay, then Samuel, Hannah, it said very clearly, the Lord had closed her womb. But then the Lord remembered her, and in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son, Samuel. So isn't it interesting, the timing? And she said, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I have asked of him, so I have given him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord. And what's interesting is what the, what the angel asked Samson's mother to do, Hannah did voluntarily. She set her son apart from birth and was raised as a Nazarite. And then we have the Philistines that are part of today's story. And um, it's interesting to think about how they responded when they saw the ark. They knew enough about Israel's history and Israel's God to fear him. And remember when they were in Egypt and all the plagues came? One of the reasons that God sent all those plagues, it was a witness to the entire world. It was a judgment on all the gods of Egypt, on all the false gods in all the world. And it was a witness of who the true and living God was. So here we have hundreds and hundreds of years later, Philistines remember those stories. And they had more fear and respect for Israel's God than Israel did. Isn't that sad? Oh. Anyway, it shows the condition that they were living in. Now, Moses had given very clear directions before God, you know, he, he led them through the promised land all those years, and uh, he lived to be 120, and at the end of his life, I think it's very important to listen to what God's people want to share at the end of their lives. I, f I feel like, uh, you know, I've already passed my 70 plus years, and anything over 70 is extra. And I'm a year and a half from 80, and so I, I know that everything, every year after 70 is extra. You know, you got to think about it. How? And the, the example of Eli, he got old, and he must have been really, really heavy, unhealthily heavy, so much so that he fell over and broke his neck and died. I mean... Not everyone finishes well. We can all start out great. We can start out poor. It's really important our walk through our entire walk with God is important because there's consequences. And, you know, I want to reap the blessings. However, we all have to deal with the consequences of other people's choices. We don't get to choose about that. But we do get to choose about the ones we make. So, um, but Moses was very specific. 
in Deuteronomy 27. In fact, if you want to know what God's will is, you read 27, 28, 29, and 30. And what it does, it lists all the blessings of obedience. And, you know, they say, oh, well, you know, that's Old Testament. You know what? True. We don't have the rituals and uh, that type of Old Testament law. But, you know, God's moral law never changes. Never. It stays the same. His principles stay the same. And people say, oh, you know, but I've been saved by grace, so I, you know, literally they live their life any way they want because, you know, Jesus is their fire insurance policy. Not life insurance, fire insurance. And guess what, girls? God knows people's hearts. They're not getting by with it. He wants a heart relationship, intimacy. It's not religion. Okay, so, um, like say, Moses listed all the consequences of obedience, disobedience, and the rewards of repentance. Don't forget that. The rewards of repentance. Doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. Oh, repentance brings the blessings. And one of the things, the one of the last things that Moses said, remember Joshua's at his right hand. He said in 3019, this day I call heaven and earth as witness, as witnesses against you. I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. And then in 32, 46 and 7, he said, Take to heart all the words that I have solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words or, quote, legalism. They are your life. God says what he means, and he means what he says. And then in verse uh, 30, 26, he said, Take this book of the law and place it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. There it will remain as a witness against you. So in this week's lesson, when they're going to Shiloh to the tabernacle and they go into the Holy of Holies where the Ark was, um, that, that should have been punishable by death, just going in there, because only the high priest could go in once a year. Okay, so, I mean, if you know what the, what the law said, then, you know, and as the elders, they should have known that, and they would have, but they were, they were not living in obedience. Uh, and it was a witness against them. So when they carried out the ark, oh, excuse me, how about did you carry out that scroll? Where God is talking to you. Okay. Uh, Joshua, his last words, and he lived to be 110. He said in 23, 14 through 15, he said, Now I am about to go all the way of the earth. You know with all your, you know with all your heart and soul that not one of God's good promises that he gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. 
But just as every good promise of the Lord has come true, the Lord will bring on you all the evil he has threatened. Not something you want to hear. (laughs) And he will bring upon you all the evil he has threatened until he has destroyed you from the good land that he's given you. When's the last time you heard a sermon about that? Something to think about in this gen- in our generation. In 2415, this is the uh, probably the passage that we're most familiar with. Joshua said, "Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your forefathers, worship behind the river, river that would have been the Euphrates and Egypt, and serve the Lord." But but if serving the Lord seems undesirable, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. <clears throat> Once again, God gives us all a free will. We get to choose. Um, Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. And then, uh, of course, then we know that after that, things got really bad, and that's where you have the book of Judges, where everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Very similar to our world today. Um, But they entered into, into a covenant, as do we. And the covenant requires us to renounce the principles and practices of the culture around us that are hostile to God's plan. This is not to be done alone, but by binding ourselves together with others in the body of Christ. We have to stand together because the world and society and culture um, are completely against the things that God stands for, although they think they're doing fine, you know. But it's always, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Society may bless, encourage, and even they will, you know, the parades and everything. We parade, society parades their evil. But in God's eyes, we know what he thinks, and that's what matters. Um, And the key to all of it is who Jesus is, why he came to set us free, He didn't tell the prostitute, go and open a really nice brothel. (laughs) Make a good living. No, he told her, go and sin no more. You know, there is no sin that the blood of Jesus will not forgive. (laughs) You're not to make an industry of it or create a new church for it. I mean, really. Okay, I don't even have to... I don't have to even comment anymore about that. Okay, some of the verses that I personally um, are are just a part of my breathing every day. Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to have... We have to purify our hearts moment by moment, day by day. And 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. And what is the opposite of that? If we 
rationalize, we make excuses, we blame other people. That's the opposite of confessing. We have to agree with God on how he sees things, not how other people do or how we can rationalize, right? Because that's human nature. And Jesus said, anyone who loves me, he will obey my teaching. It's a love relationship. But he also says in John 14, 24, he who does not love me will not obey my teaching. They're going to do their own thing. And I think about the words of Samuel. Young Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And isn't that what we want to do? And I thought about, what about the judgments that are coming for us? That's, that's not a popular subject, is it? I don't think we hear too many things about what are the judgments that are coming. And why would there be judgment? Because God is love. He lets us do whatever makes us happy. Doesn't he just want us to be happy? Those sound familiar. But before I give you those warnings, in fact, I'm going to go through them really quick. And I'm going to give you the verses that you can just jot down if you choose to. Or you can come up afterwards and I'll give them to you. But I want to go back to what God said about Eli and his sons. What did God say? In back in chapter 2, it says, Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. And in 2.17, it said, The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offerings with contempt. And then in 2.22-25, it said, now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they had slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of the meeting. So now you've got gross immorality along with everything else. And so Eli says to his sons, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. So we think, well, yeah, he, he's, he's rebuking his sons, right? Oh, no, my sons, the report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people, it's not good. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke. However, it was the Lord's will to put them to death because they had reached the point of no return. There is a point. You know, it says God's kindness is meant to lead to repentance. But there will come a day where there is a point of no return. And Eli's sons had come to that point. Now you think, okay, so didn't Eli do everything that he should have done? He knew about it all, and he talked to them, and he warned them. But there was something else that we need to be reminded of. And that was in 229. God said to him, Why do you honor your sons more than me? By fattening yourself on the choice parts of every offering made by my people. And in 9.13, it 
uh, the Lord said to Samuel, because I told him that I would judge his family forever because he knew because of the sin he knew about. His son blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. Not all your translations use the word blasphemy, condemned, whatever. But in the original language, it's blasphemy. What they did all those years and probably all the 40 years that Eli served, is they were guilty of blasphemy. And guess what the penalty for blasphemy is? We find that in Leviticus 24, 16. Anyone who blasphemies the name of the Lord is to be put to death. The entire assembly must stone them. Whether foreigner or native-born, when they blasphemy the name, they are to be put to death. So that is what God expected of Eli. And also that is what he expected from the elders and from the people. All Israel was to stone, to stone them and put them to death as punishment for their blasphemy. That kind of colors it a little bit, doesn't it? So you don't have this rationalization making excuses. Well, you know, he tried to do the right thing. This is what God demanded. And they knew what his word said, and they all chose to do their own thing. Okay, so some final promises, and we all know the promises of God, and they are sweet. But I'm going to give you... Um, some of the judgments of God to go along with them just to kind of keep things in balance. So I'm gonna, I'll do them really fast because I know that it's time. John 3.3. 3. And remember, everyone gets to choose. Everyone. John 3.3. 3. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. A lot of people don't know what that means. Guess what? It's important enough for you to figure that out and find out. If you don't know what it means to be born again, I say you need to understand what that really means. James 3, 3, 16 to 18, we're so familiar. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting, everlasting life. God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world but to save it through him. But it says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. John 3.36. So there again, we get a choice of either being forgiven or condemned. It's our choice. And even choosing, uh, believing is a choice. It's not a, not a feeling or an emotion. It's a choice. It's an act of your will that we've all been given. John 3.36, whoever believe in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life because God's wrath remains on him. Without Jesus, the blood of Jesus to cleanse you from all sin, God's wrath remains on everyone. That is also something to think about and the importance of repentance. 
and why we never stop praying for people. Never, never stop loving, never stop praying. In Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, <clears throat> we are told very specifically, and this one gets touches a little close to home, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Well, you know, a lot of us could fall into that category. And that is what some of you were. And that's the most important verse. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. But it's very specific. We get to choose. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 7.10, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. <clears throat> Worldly sorrow is being sorry, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> for the consequences of the choices we've made. Okay, it's time. It's good the clock's there. Okay. Uh, because now I know I'm really over. Okay, quickly. Um, Galatians, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Galatians 5, 16 through 26. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And Ephesians 5, 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of such things, God's wrath comes upon those who are disobedient. Colossians 3, 15 to 7, once again talks about the wrath of God. You used to walk in these ways, but now you rid yourself of all these things. Romans 2, 4, God's kindness leads you towards repentance. Those who live according to the sinful nature will die, Romans 8. Romans 12, we're told to not conform to the pattern of this world, but to uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The way we re renew our minds is through the word of God, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Lastly, God's heart is he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 2 Peter 3, 9. And that really is the most important thing to remember. He is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And that's God's heart. And thank you so much for allowing to be here today. It was the joy of my heart. And I have to tell you one thing. I was recently given a diagnosis that I'm going blind. And the grace of God has given me enough vision to still function. And I can't explain to you why. I have severe glaucoma that has already damaged the optic nerve, and the damage that I've experienced is irreparable. I'm having surgery next month, um, hopefully to stop the progression, but I've already lost 95% of my right eye and over 50% of this eye, and yet, God has chosen me within those little pixels that I can still drive safely and won't drive if, it's not, if I'm not safe. I can still study the Bible. I can still pay my bills, and I can still live alone. You know, 
Anyway, um, I am just so grateful. So I'm thankful for everyone who knows me that's prayed for me and will continue. But what an honor and a privilege. You know, with every breath I take, God's word is so precious. And so for me to be here today, you know, I know my days are numbered. And, you know, I just want to honor him until my last breath. And to be able to come today to share with you, you have no idea what a gift that is to me from the Lord through your hands. So thank you, and God bless you all.